0: Whoa, good morning, good afternoon, good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours podcast. And hey, this is a GDP minute. Listen, some people say in a past life, and honestly, I'm not writing it out for the future either. I could be a politician because I have a certain sales skill. I just like selling, it's fun. And so I feel very comfortable when we have politicians up on the show. We had Cambridge's Mayor Mark McGovern up previously and now we just had the mayor of somerville which is where our studio is joe curtitoni and he's running for re-election for his 10th term or his ninth term and we had him up on the show to kind of discuss some of the issues in somerville and dope man pumped to have the mayor up on the show it's fire i feel really good about it and uh he talked about some of the issues in somerville like homelessness the opioid crisis why he wants to do safe injection sites why rent is so high and what he's doing to make make it so kids are my age and even other people can still afford houses here and we also talked about who he's voting for hint hint it's elizabeth warren and we talked about like dude when you get in political spats and fights with foes, can't you just like hit them up and be like, "Yo, it's really not that big of a deal." With that being said, some value he talked about what he would do as a young politician and how he'd get started. He talked about why this election, his election actually matters and why anybody should actually care about him running for mayor. And he talked about what it takes and the type of motor you need to to be the CEO of a city and oversee everything. So I think there's a lot in there, especially if you're into politics on a local level. I hope I did a good job for you guys. Let me know what you think. Again, this is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours podcast. And uh, we're just going to keep grinding, man. Thank you so much. All
1: right. Hi, I'm Joe Curtatone, and this is my Golden Hour. Oh, oh, God, what's going on? Where am I going? Oh. Dad?
0: Yes, my son. I am Deuce, the dear god.
1: I'm so confused. Who am I?
0: Derek, your true name is Hercules. Hercules.
1: Wait, what? what?
0: Yes. You are Hercules, the god of the forest. Ah! Season 5. Hosted by your favorite podcast host, Big Bochy. You already know the deal, mother What's up? So the double clap signifies the start of an episode. But before we start, hey everybody, my name is Connor Hallway, and this is the Golden Hours Podcast, and if you by chance get any sort of value, entertainment, or information from this episode, just share it with a friend. That's all we ask, right, Sarah? That's all we ask over That's here. Great to me. I'm vetted, so I know you know how the show goes down. And also, before I introduce my guest on the right, who else is in the room today? Hey, so Sarah. How's it going? Sarah. Oh, yeah. I'm Mayor Joker, Attorney's Campaign Manager. Thanks for having us. Well, now you just revealed the guest. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man?
1: Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> and then... Yo, Big Fresh, checking in for
0: another episode. My guy. Big Fresh, what a nickname! Right,
1: uh, that's one I've heard so far today.
0: Well, what, you don't have any nicknames
1: for me? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a few out there about me. Sarah, do you have a nickname about me?
0: There, there must be a nickname, me, a nickname right? Nickname. Yeah, I don't know. After, is this going to be your ninth? Ter- well, this is your ninth election, tenth term.
1: Yeah, it'd be. Uh, I've sixteen years. I've done eight terms, so yeah, it would be. My well, let's, go. let's go. Let's go. Let's put it let's Do something. <laughs>
0: uh, so on my right. I have the mayor of the city that we're currently recording in, and this is his first time in the space. This is Mayor Joe Curtatone, and, okay. and and so you you said Mark said his last, his last name wrong. Oh, I'm not
1: trying to like call anyone
0: out. We're not starting <laughs> a beef Mago- here. Hey, don't this worry, my governor. Yeah.
1: Oh my god, he's <laughs> Cambridge.
0: Well, how do most people normally pronounce it?
1: Curtatone. There are some who say you know Curtatone, you know, but I don't correct them. Long story there.
0: Well, well, I was doing some little research, and when whatever uh, Michelle Obama dinner you were part of, the guy introduced you. I think he said Kurt right?
1: Yeah, that was Tiki Barber.
0: Was that Tiki Barber? Tiki Barber. The football player?
1: Yeah, when we launched Let's Move in the White House in February 2010.
0: And okay. he said Kurt Atone?
1: Yeah. You know, he, he, made, he tried to have some fun with me. And you were pissed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I made fun of his, uh, his uh, bald, bald head at that point, though.
0: How did you, as a mayor at that time, get involved in fe- like the federal level politics?
1: On that issue, um, we were leading the sort of a lot, the national and, in many ways, the global dialogue on taking on the childhood obesity epidemic. And there's a program we launched in partnership with Tufts University called Shape Up Somerville, It is a first community-based systems environmental approach to reversing the trends of childhood obesity. We then advised. Um, Incoming First Lady Michelle Obama on her team on that but it was something she cared about as part of the Let's Move campaign. And so
0: you reached out to the White House initially, or they reached out it was, to you?
1: She her her chief of staff was a gentleman named Sam Cass, and he had heard cat's and he had heard me speak in Washington on the topic of child obesity and the Shape Up Somerville uh, approach. And I, I was we invited to engage with them. We shared our approach with them, and they embedded that much into what is Let's Move and uh, what was then, and, and let's, uh, I'm sure Trump has already done, dismantled that as well. And we launched it together in February 2010 uh, in the White House, and the yeah, Tiki Bobby was there.
0: So what is Let's Move? Like kids get out and walk type thing? It, well,
1: you know, it, it really, it, it, it embodied the tenets of Shape Up Somerville, incentivizing people, uh, thinking about the system around us uh, to get people to eat smart, uh, play hard, move more. It wasn't telling you, hey, you know, you're, not, you're you fat need to, you know yeah you're <laughs> obese you need to know it's how we live our lives and it, 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 the uh, the concept is there's no there's nothing that the mayor can promulgate or declare to say you know we have to do xyz but if we think about our environment the built environment that incentivizes you to walk or bike uh, food access food policy food security all the options we wanted to in essence make the healthy choice the easy choice not based on convenience so Uh, And it worked in Somerville, you know, when we did this experiment with Justice University, our our kids in Somerville, against other control communities, gained less weight. And that's what sort of the foundation in helping Let's Move Launch on a much broader scale.
0: What do you do for diet? Like, are you like a total health freak?
1: No, you know, I have, um, no, hey, listen, I, 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 I
0: I, my, what's what's your mother say? (laughs) Or your
1: grandmother say, everything in moderation I try to make healthy I'm, choices. Well,
0: how old are you? Like 50, 52? 53. Yeah, you look good for 53, man. Yeah,
1: right? I am trying to hang in there. I try to I, I try to train 4 days a week. Um, you know, besides the campaign I'm out there knocking doors. I've hit more than 3,000 doorbells, so that's keeping my weight down. And you know, Todd, when you're when you're when you're doing this type of job or any type of work. and I, we, my wife and I we have four boys, so the days are long and you know, making sure you can ground yourself either Yoga, run and walk and biking, and getting to the gym just for mental stability. That's what I try to do. I try to eat clean.
0: What's like eating clean to you?
1: Um, You know, not a lot of not a lot of heavy foods. Listen, I like my sweets. I do have some restrictions. You know, around dairy just because of uh, allergies, and uh, and I eat gluten free because my wife and two of my boys have celiac disease, and so I eat cleaner. But look, I try to eat in moderation. Not eat too heavy. Not eat crazy stuff late at night, but, you know, complex cars. But carbs. you're
0: Italian, though, right? I it's, am,
1: but hey, I'm at my mother's house every Sunday. She's right up the hill here, by the way. You got to come over. We got to do this podcast from her kitchen. And, Whoa. Uh, and, you know, so it's, it's a mom's house, a nonna's house on Sundays for my kids, and then the leftovers on Monday
0: and Tuesday. And that's just a car blast, Oh, it's right? awesome,
1: yeah. You got to have a little fun, you, know? you what, Burn it
0: off. What is it like, just pasta?
1: It's, there's always a pasta. There's always a pasta, and then uh, the, the gravy, and then uh, and there's always a... Uh, second like a chicken or beef or something and whole. it's multiple courses it's great
0: is your mouth watering right no, <laughs> yeah i'd love to go back up there
1: tell you it's great on sundays mom's house. well you should get a
0: fitbit this actually be pretty cool on a campaign tip if you got it if you got him a fitbit and when you're going door to door see how many steps you actually record should, should do that
1: yeah so of course i don't listen to sarah
0: well so sarah how did you get involved in campaign in the entire process um i just ended up here somehow i'm still trying to figure it out yeah okay, i stumbled <laughs> down a rabbit hole i
1: think i asked the other day what What are you doing here
0: <laughs> <laughs> well how do you build a team when you're in, when it's re-election time do you take care of that do you have like a, a trusted advisor who does most of it
1: you know i'm pretty lucky i have a lot of long time and new supporters who you know uh Love where some of us going and love how we approach the challenge of the city. So I have those relationships. Yeah, we, and, and as we think about the next election, uh, you, you know, and, and in, any, in this case when you have opposition, you know, we just mobilize folks and, and it's not, it basically comes down to me, pick up the phone and say, hey, use your help in the campaign. And then we, we certainly put together a team of staff. We were lucky to get Sarah on board. I think the uh, jury's still up, but I think I was pretty fortunate to get her on board.
0: You seem very poignant. You seem like you're on the ball. To me? Yeah, <laughs> that would be you. <laughs> Have you always been a very uh, concise decision maker? I just learned two seconds ago that I am, but
1: oh. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, she, someone has to kick the mayor on the backside. Once <laughs> all, I'll keep him in line. She I'm does more a good than job. Happy to fill that role. Well, how do you deal with time management?
0: Like, what is what is your traditional day to day like? Because your responsibilities as mayor is a little bit different than Mark McGovern because he oversees like the city council and holds those meetings. Are you like a fast decision maker? Do you mull over decisions? Does it take you time?
1: Um, so my role is different. I'm am, I'm am actually the CEO and chief operating officer, and everything. You have access to the budget. And, yeah, I you know it's it's a strong executive form of government. It's much uh, like Boston, um, and you know it is a time suck. It's hard. I mean, in uh, campaigning every two years is is, is hard um, to manage everything. But I am a, am I a quick decision maker. I would say yes. But I, I like to consider myself a thorough decision maker. I want to see the I want to see the data. I'll ask probative questions. I'll push on it sideways, and then some of the decisions are pretty straightforward. Some of them, uh, you know, require a little bit more thought, and you just take the best data and information from you and make the best call you have, have based on the values we're, or the goal we're trying to achieve. And some are a little bit more complex. You know, um, leadership isn't always straightforward about a yay or nay or something. It's a lot of times, it's empowering the community and engaging them in that conversation. So, is,
0: is there a benefit to making faster decisions in your
1: position, though? I think the ability to ma- the ability to make decisions when warranted, quick decisions, is essential.
0: So, like, can you give me an example of when it, it was a benefit to you to be able to do something quick?
1: Uh, well, I think that happens daily um, because on the operation side of the city, the things that are very linear uh, that have to happen—you know, uh, a public works decision um, or something in finance, a decision uh, to uh, shift uh, funds or, or how we're going to leverage certain financial decisions—that have to be made on a, on a regular and real-time
0: basis. Like what? Just like um, what would a financial decision be?
1: Um, you know, I, I would—you know, would have to make a call that. Um, a simple one, you know, if we need to lock down a particular rate for our energy usage. Uh, and then there was an opportunity that came up. And you might not need a decision within the next five minutes, but certainly within the next day. That's on top of everything else, and it's important to make a decision then. And Those aren't very pressure cooker decisions, they're pretty straightforward. And that's, uh, you know, absorbing information, being informed, okay, why do we want to do this? What's the benefit? Let's do that. Let's move forward. So it's not the most complex decisions.
0: So is it, do you have a, a specific year end goal in mind on, the, on a financial tip when you start? Like, okay, this is where we want to push the city this year. Is that normally how it works? And then you map all your decisions around that.
1: So, you know, we set, we have about a $250 million operating budget Oh. Some of them, A lot less than Mark. Mark's got more money in Cambridge. The only thing Cambridge is more than us is a lot more money. Because well, all the biotech companies. And, yeah, and they drink a lot of Chardonnay down on Brattle Street, but... Uh, <laughs> it's beef. It's beef. <laughs> but, you know, you, we have to run a balanced budget. You can't run a deficit budget, and sometimes decisions happen around that. that we might have something driving a budget line item uh, like over time. It might be a variable causing more overtime, or sick time abuse or something that's driving a variable. but we have to run a balanced budget. Our goal is obviously to be balanced, but we don't just want to be balanced. We manage the budget. You want to end up, um, re- you know, beefing up your reserves at the end of the day. So if you have, for instance, your department has a $10 million budget, well, our goal is for you to deliver the services within that $10 million parameter, but really to manage that. So at the end of the day, we want you to use that money efficiently that you may have excess left at the end of the, at the, end of the fiscal year. So we want to perform to our goals and objectives, deliver the services we promised, use that money wisely because in a city like Sumble, we don't, again, unlike Cambridge, we don't have as much discretionary money we're spending. You've still Um, got some money, though. Yeah, we have enough to do the things we need to do, but we want to be strategic. We want to allocate the resources accordingly. Hey, if something's working, we want to beef up the spending. there. If it's not, we want to to pivot uh, and allocate, reallocate that money to something that we need to do because there's always more in terms of demand of things we need to do than the amount of money we have we're have, able to spend.
0: When you say something's working, you mean you're providing funds for something in the city that's generating more money for the city, correct?
1: Well, I think it, it, it's a, if it's a program in a particular department or a service in Would a, pati- in a particular agency, is it delivering the impact, the positive impact? Is it meeting our goals and objectives? The question we always have is, if it is, Why? if it's gone above and beyond why, and certainly if it hasn't, why? And understand the variables that impact and that. You want to manage real-time using data. It's something that sets some of us aside. One of the things we adopted in how we manage, we use real-time analytics. We set up our summer stat department, and these are analysts embedded in the administration. And we're looking at data on a real-time basis to understand uh, and hold ourselves accountable to be more transparent. And you as the agency head have to respond to that, you know, well, Here are the goals and objectives, and yeah, I'm within budget. But are you meeting, uh, for instance, in public works? Are we filling the potholes as quick as we should be filling uh, when you call up 311 or make a service request to the city? Uh, you know, and that plays out in every every department, you know. So we're meeting our expectations, or, or we not, and then we understand what variables are driving that result.
0: Have you always had a, a really high motor? Like, have you yeah, always been on yeah, a yeah.
1: Go- I'm 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 I'm, high. I'm jacked up all the time. I love to, plus. It's easy to get pumped up about Somerville. It's such a cool place.
0: Well, well, yeah, you grew up here, right?
1: Yeah, I grew up right up the hill. What was, what,
0: what was this when you were growing up? Do you remember?
1: This alleyway, I don't remember much back here, but there was the playground here was Stone Park, and it was really an asphalt park. And I just remember we had a little neighborhood. It was, I, my park was up the hill at Corbett Playground, now called Corbett McKenna. We had big wiffle ball tournaments, so we played the kids from Stone Park and... Up you guys the would hill, fight, but the best part down, down here, yeah, exactly, exactly. At the end, of, but the best part was um, right at the edge here, where Bronwyn is. There was a great sub shop called White Sport. Now, there's actually still one in Magoon Square, but White I've be, seen White Sports, yeah, somewhere. in Google. Square, but the one here was famous because you'd come in and you name the sub you wanted, and they would take a French giant French bread. Roll and and, and uh, we'd, well, baguette baguette we didn't call it baguette back then so and they had this board with lines if you wanted a jumbo half jumbo small and did line it up and take the knife and cut it. you could get like if you wanted to get a jumbo uh, cheeseburger sub you did you'd have an entire French. Uh, roll of cheeseburger or a tights. It was, it was a great spot. I mean, that's what you came down here for. It was and then
0: you became a health freak. Yeah, I no imagine No more that. white sports bit, subs, I'll yeah. be
1: honest with you. I, I could go for a sub one of these. Every once in a while, you got to have Do one.
0: Do you ever go to Bronwyn? Have you ever yeah, one? I have been in
1: Bronwyn. It's pretty cool. Nothing like Artisan Sausages in Union Square.
0: Well, well, one really nice thing is, so I was running my show at a studio off of Lowell Street. Then we moved over here. And every time in the night, like, there's a really nice aroma from Union Square. It, like, always smells really good in the square. So, shouts out to you, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, love it. A lot of great... No reason to go anywhere but... Some of them, or even in Union Square to get a bite. Well, eat.
0: dude, can you just kind of explain what's going on with, with the pit of construction, yeah, though? Yeah. Because it takes like 100 minutes to yeah. get through here.
1: Well, I tell people, you're only going to be pissed off for a little while longer because, hey, we're doing about 50 years worth of infrastructure work in the next three from the major work happening here in Union where you're is doing
0: a Is that the Green Line extension? Is well, it is?
1: you have major water and source separation happening in the street. And then when it's done, well, the, the street surface will be... Incredibly, uh, uh, in terms of incredible, in terms of offering more low carbon, multimodal options, protected bike lanes, and, and and expanded walkability, and the empty lots across the street and uh, near the real bed, you get the Green Line construction going on. Then you'll have the development uh, that's going to be kicking off, that's starting up in Union Square, and all this sort of utility work supports really the um, work happening around the uh, the Sum of a Lab project.
0: And so, uh, I would be remiss if i didn't ask like when will that stuff be totally over Oh
1: sure well the stuff in the street and some of that will all be done in about 18 months yeah a little over a year 2021 I'm really excited about that and then how Union old Square. will you be
0: in 2021 sure. <laughs> <laughs> i think i will be 25 i'm 23 right now is that how the math works i think um so well back to you being a really fast decision maker are you ever able to shut it off? Like, are you just like ever just like, yo, Joe, chill out, dog?
1: Um, it's hard. You know, and, and one of the reasons I, you, you, you go to the gym, you run, you, you just hang out in a coffee shop, you just chill out with friends or your family is to ground yourself. You want to shut it off. Um, you know, but it's hard. I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm high velocity, a lot of energy, I love doing this work. And just being at some level. But that's the hardest part for me personally.
0: W- when do you feel like your game is thrown off? Like, when do you feel like your decisions aren't as concise? Like, what ha- has to happen to you?
1: Well, I think uh, it's the wear and tear. If I haven't shut it off and grounded myself, it's sort of self-choreographed, <laughs> sort of, um, yeah. You systems it, your systems in your Yeah, it's hard to go, you know, to pace that work in your head. You just want to keep going and... I think it's natural for people to want to. For me, even more so. So I think that's when you know you can just affect yourself and impact. And then you, you certainly can't be as productive on the work side. So do you, you? never feel burnt out ever? Like just tired? I'm not burnt out from the job. Do I feel physically tired? I'm oh, sure. I mean, I'm out there right now uh, running. Uh, really, I think the, one of the most uh, progressive cities in the country you know trying to lead that and trying to be a father of my four boys and my wife and I and do all their activities uh and campaign and knocking over 3,000 uh doors and engaging constituents which I love to do but when you put that all together you know it, it's a grind yeah. it's a hustle man yeah.
0: but but growing up with your friends and like your family say okay you were kind of meant to uh, you know you you kind of had a successful infrastructure growing up like you were always going to kind of be a successful dude
1: um yeah i had a great infrastructure i mean i grew up here in this neighborhood that we're in right now and up in prospect hill much like any of the neighborhoods in some at the time we were all kids whose families just came from either portugal uh, ireland greece italy and our families all worked in the same factories. there was a so really tight um social fabric city was a lot grittier then, a lot dirtier, there, there was corruption, but the fabric was really tight, and that was really su- supportive. Uh, I don't think any of my friends would have thought I wouldn't want to run for mayor. Everyone asked me that, and I never thought of doing politics. In fact, I, think, I know at one point in my life I said I would never do it. Um, um, yeah, but I think you know, that, that was certainly critical for me and successful, especially in the schools and stuff, the support I got here.
0: Well, at what point did you realize you had a certain emotional intelligence that a lot of people don't necessarily have? You uh, know what I mean, right? Yeah. I'm not trying to big you up too big, but uh, but for instance, my my father, I actually think you might know him. And and listen, I got this without my dad, okay? Yeah. But my dad, he works in unions. He's the president of a union called NAGE. Uh, and so he he has a certain emotional intelligence
1: that I think a lot of people don't necessarily have. Um I think there are two things I pride myself on, and the two characteristics I I try to find in people when they want to come work uh, in the city. And I found that in, success, in successful people, one do you have a passion uh, for curiosity, which I do. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, the most innovative city in the country." No, I think we're the most curious city. And do you have a willingness to be abnormal, which I have. I'm just that way you're just a weirdo uh, yeah i'm an abnormal guy and i think abnormal is great you know you when you think about how you enable collaborative creativity in the community or in a startup or in an incubator or any type of effort uh it's that bump factor you create from really passionate curious people people willing to step out to be abnormal be probative of what's in front of them you know leading a city like somerville it's not about it's not about finances i mean People think, well, you need to be a CEO, needs to be
0: a financial risk. Well, you want to run a well-edged yeah. machine, though, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, we do. Right? But uh, it's, it's how you process, how you engage. Are you probative? Are you willing to take smart risks, informed risk? And, uh, and, and it's a much more complex job than it, because otherwise, you know, you just need accountants. or Boring. I, saying, boring. I mean, it would be a, yeah, it would be kind of a boring type of thing.
0: So if you were to not be mayor for the last what has it been 15 or 16 years 16 years you would you be a master salesman what would you do
1: i don't know i uh, i the the thing about i like to f- touch feel and see it and that's what's good about this job you walk out the door you you meet people and you know i, I use the i use the example i walk in my office one day at city hall i meet someone who's having an issue in the neighborhood maybe it's um something on their street. It's a pothole or a tree or something going on that they're concerned or something in their family, and I walk up the steps, and then I'll sit with a, a major investment team that wants to make a major investment in a place like Union Square or Assembly Row. Uh, so it runs the spectrum, and the great thing about BM is when you walk around the city, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it, and you're at the grass, you're just face-to-face. I mentioned to you about retail politics. That's really... That retail service with the people who chose you to lead them, and that's what I find fulfilling.
0: But if you were to not be mayor, what would you be?
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. I, 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 tell you, I, you know, I'd be really good at radio. I
0: think. You don't have a face for TV. No, I have thing. a face.
1: I, I could do that also. I, I really don't know. I, I, I never even do thought you like, about that. Do you
0: like the media?
1: I love it. Yeah, I think it's. I use. I utilize it for the benefit. of... Somerville, you know, push the, the narrative about the city, but I think it's, you know, nowadays, especially, in many forms and different forms of media, to communicate with people, it's important for us.
0: Well, yeah, but it's like, at least in my experience and what I've noticed with, like, big networks, mind you, I I, I do the podcast as a brand extension. Yeah. I don't I really have no interest in being in media long term, but th- there's a polarity in media now, and so is it tough for you to navigate, especially when you're campaigning, like, you know, what to choose? Because you've been on Fox, right? You've been on CNN. Yeah. Um, and, are, and are you hesitant when you go up to networks like that? Like, I kind of know who I'm going to talk to and I know what I'm dealing with.
1: Um, I'm not hesitant. Um, and that's typically on either a national issue and that a perspective of a municipal official like a mayor is important uh, for that outlet. Or a decision we made, or a value we're fighting for, like remaining a sanctuary city in light of uh, Trump's agenda. You know, uh, here at the local level, and so you get invited you know, on all those types of networks. Now, yeah, I've been on Fox, and we, at the end of the day, uh, for the most part, we, I don't shy away from those things. Uh, uh, you know, you you are who you are, and you believe in what you believe in, and I have a. No hesitation about standing up for what some of believes in what this community's values are. That's what drives me every day. And uh, you know, you you listen to questions on those shows, you answer questions. You, but you're right, it is but very important. But you know polarized. sometimes like
0: when you were going up on a Fox News, you're like, hey, I might get in a punching match. You know that. Oh yeah, yeah. It, right? you
1: know ahead of time and uh, you know you know when to punch back and you know when to take it. And so you know, sometimes just answering with basic logic is pretty is a very powerful weapon. When you
0: get in and after this, I, there's a couple of issues I wanna just talk about in the city, but when you get into some sort of like political spat or like you have some sort of enemy or like political foe, how do you after the issue's done, are you ever like, Hey man, can I just like call this person up and be like, yo, are we cool? Is this all good? Is this just part of the game? You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, you know, um I've had the answer is yes, and it's uh, I've had that over the years. Because it's a sport I mean, almost, you know. It is, and I. Th- it's one thing. There, I want to dis- make sure we're, we're, we're the two. we distinguish ha- into two. I've had passionate debates and arguments about the substantive merits of many different types of issues or policy decisions. And I think we know inherently that, look, we're just disagreeing on this decision. Still, you, know, you engage one another because – Or or, or we've had things that have gone a little bit beyond that. And sometimes the rhetoric in the debate seems personal. It can be taken that way. And I feel honest and I'll admit, and over the years, I I would have handled some debates differently. And I think it's important that we all realize in in, in our community anyway, anything that we do is the product of many hands. So uh, I try to always reach out and engage and say, look, we might have disagreed. Let's work on the next thing together. Uh, nothing personal. Uh, it's let's tough kind of it, it is right? tough. And, and this day and age, you've touched on it. We're in an age of digital media and social media, and sometimes it's not the authors of that debate, but sort of the disciples <laughs> of that debate who are carrying the conversation a lot further, more personal uh, depth. And uh yeah, you have your battle wounds. This, this job. Certainly different than when I started 16 years ago, and I would say much different than even three to five years ago.
0: In terms of what?
1: Well, just the the um, the arena, the public yeah. arena is you know more is combative. It is more combative. Uh, it is more personal. Um, social media didn't cause that. It is the conduit that is exposed a lot of that but you're also
0: active on social yeah i am too
1: and you have to you know you you, there's a difference i was said they're they're really ideological some hateful attacks that come at people and you need to know um i mean you know when you have trolling i think you you know you you certainly uh respond trolling, in my opinion by denying it oxygen and when you have you know, people want to debate you. Well, you resp- or people want to mischaracterize or lie about the facts. You respond with facts and information. Um, and you have to also understand you have to in this job when there is anger and there is not every decision is popular. When you're a mayor or elected official, long period of time and some of us change their bold decisions, and it could be bold or um, bold or com- or simple as a bi- a priority bus lane coming to the city or protected bike lane. Someone loses their parking spot, or an important housing or policy decision. But people feel a sense of loss. They, oh, that parking space was important to me. It, you know, it's, I feel like I lost something. This or some of those changing, and uh, I am don't know if I'm going to be able to participate in that change, that economy. That, and you have to accept and absorb that anger, that concern, that sense of with with grace. Respond with empathy and just engage people, and it's it's, I not that that's never happened before. I think we're just uh, you know changes happening in this region and community, city regions around the country at such a pace, and 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 then you add on top of it the layer of really rabid and you know um, toxic national political dialogue, and it and it and it really adds another element to it that I've I've never seen before in my career.
0: Do you think? That's across all mediums now that there's just like, there's more aggression. Do you think that's just like inherent?
1: Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, these are the only sort of really engaged conversations we have in these types of... That's what of I'm Obama. saying. So
0: any like, let's say you have a beef with anybody out there right now. Couldn't you just go somehow contact them, call them up and be like, Hey man, like this really is not that serious. Uh,
1: you yeah. could right yeah and we actually I, I do do that you know you've it's, done that recently yeah I do that a lot no way I do that a lot and it, and then if, sometimes it's just contact and, and no one you need to sit there and again tell me I, I, and I here's why we're making this tell me how you're feeling I, I really want to hear it I think people want to know that you're going to listen and you're going to hear it
0: it's just a lot easier I think To, I think it's just it's a level of maturity I think it would take just to like just call someone up. Say, "Hey, man, I know we're beefing in the media, but this is not that big of a deal."
1: Yeah, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm a lot better at it now than I was 16 years ago, and because
0: you probably just got tired of uh, fighting with people, yeah, right?
1: you know what? It comes down. You learn to become a better listener. I think leadership is all about listening and leading by example. Yeah, and you go back. You know, you go back. I go back in every decision of my time period here and ask myself, you know, what would leadership look like then? And, you know, it's uh, metaphorically if I we're going to go on this journey across the river in the, on a rowboat, who are you bringing with you? Who leaving behind? You don't want to leave anybody behind. But reaching to that person, maybe they're on the other side of the argument, reaching out them behind it and listening to them, you know. You know, maybe, you know, a lot of times back then, like, well, okay, they went with us too bad. This is the right decision. And it may have been right. You may have said, you know what, that's the right decision, the merits. But leadership, I think, is really about listening and trying to bring as many people on that journey with you.
0: Sarah, any questions right now?
1: Don't feel too much narrative here, Sarah. (laughs) Is, is,
0: Is this camera still moving? It's still on him. Okay, great. I just I get paranoid about the tech setup well, the sometimes.
1: So I want to know what McGovern talked about here. Well, we I hope were, he in was this were in the studio. talking about summer Okay, well, hope he was talking We ran the
0: interview way too long. It was it like two hours? Two now. hours. Yeah. So, I was like, you got stuff to do today, man. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh a couple of issues. So most of my demographic is younger people in the city. And so as Sarah was being very pushy, she was like you should ask him about this, you should ask him about that. Or well, she did. Is my shell man. All right. Yeah, really? But um one thing is I leave college, right? I went to Providence College. And a lot of my friends, they leave school and they get jobs in corporate accounting or the boring stuff, right? Yeah and let's say their base salary making like 60K a year, it'd be hard for them to move from college and start in Somerville just because the rent is high. So how, I understand it's like inevitable because it's an awesome city, but how do you like as mayor adjust with like rising rental prices?
1: You're right, it's uh, we are in housing emergency. It's real bad. Well, I feel like
0: Somerville is the last leg of all of Boston, Yeah, it's the region.
1: And the entire metro Boston region Uh, is in the midst of a housing emergency. In Somerville, we're being impacted this way. One, there are not enough homes or housing units. The entire metro region needs an additional 438,000 units. On top of that, people want to be in Somerville because it's a real progressive city. It's been on the rise. We've invested in bikeability and walkability. I mean, moving public transit like the Green Line is so... More people want to live here, and there's not enough housing, and that creates a strain of supply and demand. But you're seeing that play out in every city and town, again, in the Boston region. So we're well aware that $60,000 a year, that's not enough. I and mean, if you want to rent a two-bedroom unit here, you need to be making over eighty. So you see a lot of young people, and Somerville is now a younger city, I believe about 46% of the population is between the age of 22 and 35, um you know how do you how do you come here and work and for us we want you here we need that talent that skill set uh because we're unlocking the tech economy the research economy the innovation economy all part of it and part of the vibrancy of the city and so one uh, how do how do we deal with it well we need to make sure that we're able to enhance your ability to pay stay so can we one how are we addressing our goals around production of housing which we are
0: um, what is base rent right now in Somerville? Uh, it's like $1,400, 1500
1: On yeah. Uh, yeah, the lower end, yeah, for a two-bedroom? More like 2200
0: Yeah, that's a, More, more, yeah. What, what would a studio a be? man, was it? What would a studio be?
1: Probably around 1400 1500 depending on where you are. I've seen them go up as high as 2 and plus, depending on the size of the studio. I mean, there are a variety of housing options in Somerville, but not to the extent... We need in terms of the number of units available. So we have a big push in, on not just creating new units, which we are in places like Union and Assembly, because we have the one of the highest inclusionary um, rates in our zoning. You know, twenty percent must be affordable in the inclusionary section. But the big battle is on the neighborhood streets. We have twos and three-family homes. Um, people on our streets, on my street, are being pushed out, and we don't want to just give you an opportunity to live in the new units because the city then becomes gated. We want the city to be integrated. Part of what attracts people, the sum of all is, and it is diverse. It is creative. It's original. We speak more than 52 it's artsy, languages. artsy, man. Yeah, I mean, it's funky. It's a little freaky, which a little, we it's a little hippie. Yeah, but we the people love that. And But we can't become a city that you only get to live in where we make, we're producing the new units. And on the, everybody, every other side street, there are only condo opportunities. and. Nothing against condos. It does give people some opportunity for homeownership, but we need to have a good rental stock in any city. So our goal is also how do we preserve housing? And one of the things we're exploring and uh, and hope to set off is an approach, over. and this takes time because you can't just turn this, uh, you just can't flip an air carrier around on a dime. Uh, the greater Boston area, since coming out of the Great Recession 2010, I think has added more than uh, – 200,000 jobs and 300,000 people and only produced about 84,000 units of housing. They never, the state and the region never prepared for the population growth. Well, it's growth. wicked densely populated. Yeah, and on top of that, we need to make sure we have public transportation, which should be free. You no, know, and we shouldn't be raising the fees on public transportation at a time when it doesn't even work well. That is reliable, that is efficient, and I mean rail, uh, buses, and continue to invest in bikeability, walkability. If we make it so that you don't need a car in some of them, I mean, that's about eight to $10,000 per year you don't need to spend. And really, you don't really need it right now, even with all the construction. But that has to play out across the region.
0: So that's the strategy is you're trying to make other areas of life here more affordable so you can have more money to pay for the rising houses? Well,
1: we need to have more housing units, one. Two, we need to also uh, invest. Are you we building are, them right now? Yeah, you know, the housing units are being built. They are being built, but not at a rate across the region that meets the demand, to be honest. We also need to protect Renters and their rights, they're being exploited here. Um, so, we passed a new condo conversion ordinance here because there's a lot of, when people buy property and they want to flip it to condos, there's been a circumventing of the laws. People aren't given the right notice. In many cases, people being displaced and they pay their rent regularly. The level or the rise, uh, there's been an incredible rise in uh, no fault evictions. Sometimes they're, they're young people like yourself, they're seniors who just want to age in place. In the city that they love, we also need to think about other opportunities like giving the rent as a first right of refusal. If I'm going to sell my home and I'm renting to you, giving you the opportunity first uh, to purchase that home. And not just speculators who are coming to the city dropping flyers on your house saying, I'll buy your house for cash as is, flip it. That's driving displacement out as well. So we have a big challenge ahead of us. It is serious. What I'm proud about is in Somerville, we're leading the regional dialogue in fact, I led a coalition of all the 15 mayors and CEOs in the inner core of Boston as head of the Metropolitan Mayors Coalition, and we set for the first time a major production goal just in those 15 cities of creating 185,000 new units of housing by 2030. But I want to be clear: the challenge is big. It's not going to happen overnight. We need, top of individual communities stepping up to the plate. The state has to push a major has to be a leader in this, uh, and other communities have to be part of this opportunity as well. I call it an opportunity, not a challenge, because displacement's happening everywhere. Well,
0: it's just tough for kids our age to be like, yeah, I w- we want to live here now. We don't have to wait till 2030. No, till the city. You know what I'm saying? And then, so, just so I'm, I clarify, so, one, you're trying to Create more room for people's budgets to actually pay for here, and two, you're creating new units in the city that are will be affordable.
1: Absolutely, and we're passing renter protection legislation okay. so people aren't. Being you're using big up. words here, man. I'm so just what happens to is, it. so you know, we, we passed a new condo conversion ordinance because we found that people who are renting, get displaced yeah, someone yeah, comes yeah. in okay. and flips. There's a lot of speculation coming in that's driving people out uh in and you know we we need to be really proactive in that way we need to be bold we need to bold systemic change and not just chipping at the margins to really take on the affordability crisis
0: isn't that tough for you though because it's like as as mayor you want your city to be making money and like you want the local economy to be to be like combustible and there's tons of money coming in and people are working good jobs. But then just as a result of it, it just means that people who aren't making as much money are kind of getting left behind. That's it's, like kind of a tug and pull, right?
1: It's a complex challenge, but we need to bring growth in the city because with that growth, when you have, you for example, grow, man, what's happening in the assembly, what's like in those credit traps, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I see you. Yeah. We, we get that money. We reinvest back into the community into our housing programs into our schools into our infrastructure if you're not growing then the we suffer we suffer the consequences not of having to cut those services out but you know this isn't a big region if this was the new york metro area we'd be brooklyn as we say mm-hmm. you know we, we we've suffered in the metro boston region for years of provincialism and parochialism in other words i got to do it for somerville or cambridge boston i don't you know, because if I don't do it just here, it doesn't help anybody else. And, you know, forget about all these other cities and towns. So, what do you see in the Metro Boston region? You see a housing emergency of which we've never seen this extent. This, and is, the la-
0: this is the last leg of it, though. It's worse in Cambridge, I the, think.
1: Yeah, and in, trans- in transportation, you got to, we're trying to compete in a 21st century global economy, provide people opportunities with infrastructure that was built during when President Nixon was around. And the T, I mean, they have $8 billion to spend on upgrades, and they can't even spend the money because there's not enough people. And, you know, we need to align, because this is inextricable now, a housing policy with a transportation, a housing plan with a transportation plan, aligned with, an, with a plan to take on climate change, because it's all impacted. It's all tied together.
0: Okay. Talked about a lot of issues there. Just trying to take it one step at yeah. a time here, man. Yeah. I got a high motor, too, but man, yours is fast, brother. <laughs> So, okay, did the affordable housing. Next, on your Twitter, I saw you went to the state house and you support safe injection sites. One, can you elaborate on what a safe injection site is for those who don't know? And two, can you kind of explain why you do that? Because I've asked a bunch of people like, yeah, dude, what are your thoughts on safe injection sites? And it's kind of, there's a big polarity with the issue. Because some people think it incentivizes people to take drugs legally.
1: You're right. There is It is polarizing, and there's a lot of misinformation or not enough information.
0: Are there safe injection sites in Somerville? No.
1: Well, actually, they're happening by default. The safe consumption sites are happening in someone's basement or someone's bathroom, where people are actually telling their, their, their children or their siblings, do your drugs here. I'm going to watch over you. I'll have my Narcan at disposal in case something happens. We are in, amongst other crises, a opioid epidemic in the country. Oh yeah. In Massachusetts, more than two thousand people that we know of die of overdose uh, every year. And in in Somerville, seventy-seven people alone—again, that we know of—since two thousand fourteen.
0: How closely is that linked with the homelessness in Somerville?
1: There's some of that. There are a lot of variables. I mean, sometimes there's a mental health variable. There's there's other you know people are self medicating and they end up uh, with fentanyl and heroin. But here's the bottom line. The purpose of safe consumption sites is to reduce harm,
0: save lives. Uh, what is a safe consumption site, just so, so people know? I-
1: in these sites, and they've been very successful in places like Montreal and in Vancouver. And their sites, their buildings, their spaces where there is a healthcare professional and there are cubicles, and people go there and they take their drugs. It's either by injection... Or With orally, clean needles. Orally, absolutely. The sites also have referral services for those who seek assistance for their addiction. And the bottom line is they work. In all those places where they've opened these sites, they've reduced harm, they've saved lives. And all the data, and this is what changed me because I was totally against this a year ago. Data shows that those who frequent the sites, people who, are, who suffer from addiction, who go to these sites, have a greater probability of seeking assistance for addiction than those who don't. Is is there a positive
0: turnover on the assistance, though? Are these people actually getting better, or are they just seeking help?
1: They are. They're seeking help, but this, we need to do, there's not one silver bullet here. We need to do a lot of things right. You know, I've heard from those in law enforcement saying, that's not the answer. Safe consumption sites, And and I say, you're right. But neither has the war on drugs been the answer. You know, we need to Yes, we need drug enforcement. Yes, we need education. Yes, we need recovery and rehabilitation. But we need to implement measures that reduce harm and save lives. And in Montreal and in Vancouver, these sites have worked. It was a great decision, a really powerful one in Philadelphia, where a federal judge said Philadelphia can launch their site, which is important because we intend to launch in Somerville. Again, the worst call, you often get asked in these shows, what's the worst call? You hate to get this, mayor. There's a few of them, but one is when I get all too often. It's from my chief police or first responder or a family member or friend or someone in the community saying, someone just died. There's been another overdose in some of And I've gone recently as well to too many of those wakes, too many of those funerals. And I can think of no greater responsibility I have as the mayor or public officials to promote public health, wellness, and well-being. And sitting idly by maintain the status quo is just going to kill more people
0: yeah I get it you got to take action and try, at least try something yep. but on the other end that would be taxpayers money going to creating the safe injection sites correct yes so taxpayers would pay and so I can see on their end why they would say dude why do I have to pay for someone addicted to drugs you know what I'm saying
1: so let me add a little bit more let me clarify um one, you Does that make paying, sense what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I understand. And we need, to be, we need to absorb that information and provide accurate information back. And when, I have had this conversation with a constituent last evening because I've heard, well, you're just going to enable drug abuse. That's not what the facts show. Facts show, again, that one, we reduce harm, save lives. People seek recovery because they're getting referral services. Two, you're going to create more crime in the neighborhood. None of that has occurred in places like Montreal and the others I mentioned. Uh, and thirdly, I would say, as a policy, we should be putting our money into promoting public health and well-being and into prevention. I'd submit this is prevention of further addiction, prevention of death. You know, no one, <laughs> you, we are, we're not the same age, but I'm sure you got the same question when we're in the elementary school. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know if you recall, but I don't recall anyone raising the hand saying, "I want to be an addict." All right? They 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 want to live.
0: I want to start a studio in the back of a random warehouse. I can in see you saying. The mayor. I can see <laughs> you
1: saying that back then.
0: I get what you're saying. Could you also institute a policy saying, "Okay, let's do a safe injection site, and then we'll also offer some sort of mental health service and like therapy"? Because who knows if that will be effective too?
1: Yeah. Yes, we can, and we will. In fact. We're not just going and we haven't fully flushed this out. We're in the midst of our due diligence. But the intent is not to just pass off lies, but really to offer that opportunity uh, for counsel and services because you're alluding to really the complexity of what drives – what are the variables that drive a person to end up being homeless or to be addicted to drugs? And this is where we need, as every individual, to keep open minds – Open hearts. Let's look at all the information. I don't ask everyone you need to be on board in this right away. All I ask is please look at all the facts, all the data on the information because it's pretty powerful.
0: When you like walk into Union Square and you see someone who's homeless, do you like do anything? Like, do you like say, hey?
1: I try to say hi. Yeah. Hello. Um, and uh, just remember it's a, it's a human being just like you and I. And, and,
0: well, I'm the same way. I'm just wondering yeah. as mayors like... Shoot, like, what should I do right now?
1: Here's what we, uh, we do. We make sure people are safe. Um, one of the things we did in Somerville is every police officer now is trained in mental health intervention. It used to be in Somerville years ago that we'd move those people along. We're not helping them. And not every person not every wants to seek... Helped, though, and, and not every person wants to go receive services or go to a shelter and we need to understand that uh, there are variety or many variables that are probably contributing to their, their their uh their position, their status in life. And we need to just continue to engage, remember the human beings, making sure they're safe, they understand that we're there for them, that there are service for them, we're willing to take them to those services. Um but we need to I, I'd say that's what drives many people, people like myself, that we need a greater focus on mental health parity uh, in this Commonwealth and this country and investment in those and that type of preventive healthcare, we, I mean, instead of stigmatizing people who are homeless or suffer from addiction, we need to remove pierce that veal first if we're going to actually want to help these folks.
0: Well, a safe injection site would also centralize all of, or for the most part would centralize a lot of the homeless people and a lot of the addicts, correct? Kind of like what you'd see in like <laughs> what they call methadone mile or meth mile.
1: Um, not exactly. I mean, someone who's a homeless is not necessarily an addict. I understand. Someone we may not even right, realize who is an addict. I mean, there are safe a colleague of mine made the point there are actually safe consumption sites right now all around us in people's homes in people's basements. So, um these sites are run they're clean they're run professionally. There's a medical health professional on staff on site to intervene. Um it doesn't necessarily... Is not all not a very direct impact on the homeless situation. There are two different types of health consequences where, or realities we're dealing with.
0: How was that for a question, Sarah? How am I doing good? You're doing great, Connor. Thank you. <laughs> Working hard over here. Um, okay, cool. So, one little gear shift here. Shouts out to you on Assembly Row. Looks great, man. Yeah. Killed it. Do you ever look at that thing? And you're like, damn, I really did this. I
1: can't. I've gone down there, you know, and I'll have a coffee at one of the cafes. I said, I can't believe I'm sitting in Assembly. That was the stolen. We were the stolen car capital. How world, long did it take? World when I was going up. I, that and that's a shout out to the community. We're talking about advocates and activists going back to 1998. Now, 21 years later, who pushed the city and people like myself to think more. Well, Boldly, dude, it looks great. There. Yeah, and I and the, there was a particular group, the Mystic View Task Force, which really led that charge, and that they, they taught me a lot about really leadership. In that example, about listening and empowering people to be part of a development decision, and it is really fantastic because we unlocked the natural resource of the Mystic River. When we opened up the Orange Line station, it was the first new transit station in when Massachusetts was this, like 27 years, years. No, it's about six years ago now, five years ago.
0: And is it completely developed now?
1: No, um, it's gonna change for about the next thirty years, I'd say.
0: Dude, good for you
1: <laughs> and for the city. I mean, that is helping us. It's creating, you know, thousands of new jobs. I get it. Yeah, we got city. we got to
0: shout out the city. But sometimes you can say, "Yeah, man, I got this uh, done." Yeah,
1: I, I am very proud of it to be part of that. I really am, and and, cool. and when
0: Puma came over, did you say, "Hey," like were you in the meeting with them, saying, "Hey, I want to pitch this to you," like park yourself here? Is that how it works?
1: Um. N- Puma, no, I didn't have to pitch Puma. They found Puma where I really helped. And what we've tried to work together with that particular developer and others is, and it's easier now than it was seven years ago to pitch some of them. Um, for sure. You know, and people want to be part of our community and they realize what we've been telling them for years, that this is about our originality, our creativity, the people that are here, the skilled workforce, where the investments are making in infrastructure. Um, and so companies like Puma were already attracted because we had set assembly in motion. We had, I think, the big game changes when Partners Healthcare, the largest employer in the Commonwealth, uh, put a, a assembly on the map. People used to say, well, it's not an office market. Now it's not this one. We'd say, it's not until it is. And when Partners came, we said, it is. And now Puma and others and tech companies are locating there. And I like assembly. It, it, I mean... I like all our neighbors. We're all particular. Assembly, even though it's it's newer, still has they they understanding bringing a lot of that some of character into it. You know,
0: but so when Puma came, did you meet with like the CEO of Puma? Yeah, yeah, I met with him. And uh, what was that like? Did guys pretty get along cool. With
1: him? Yeah, he's pretty cool. I mean, uh, is, he, is he
0: a European guy? No, he's,
1: a, he's an American. A, dude, he's yeah, he up in lives up in the, in the Merrimack Valley. Really cool guy. What impressed me more about Puma is they were brought into the community and they wanted, they wanted to participate in the community. They got it. They really wanted to be in Somerville. They wanted to be there. Um, I could use them for, to, to make sales pitch on Assembly.
0: For sure. Well, I, had, um, I just had Reebok up on my show on last week and boston is a very competitive sneaker market right now do you know yeah. that there's like new balances here yeah. converse Ree- Reebok, yeah. converse adidas nah. and nah. now puma
1: yeah and there have been more looking around the region well you know. did,
0: there's a shoe startup called york athletics so you guys should look up it's really really nice yeah they're fresh okay. you cool. should get some sponsored puma snakes. i do What's have deal, to get man? some i have to i will are those george washington shoes no, what no, are those things no, man. <laughs>
1: they help me walk nope. what are you what are you wearing though
0: these are reeboks baby are they yes sir these are classics they are so, um
1: I don't think I've ever seen that cut up, but I've seen it. Yeah,
0: I, I call you the retirement home twenties because your really? grand, your grandpaps could rock these too. You know what I'm saying? But I could also rock them, make them look fresh. Yeah, I'd wear them. I'm surprised you don't wear sneakers. If I you're do walking around all day. I, I
1: do. Well, these these are these are more my rubber sole walk around.
0: Well, dude, I no do. one's gonna demonize you if you're gonna walk like ten miles every day to go pitch <laughs> yourself. You can wear sneakers. I like. do.
1: I, I do. And actually, your Pumas get some pretty cool. Those casual. Type, uh,
0: Tell them to sponsor the whole team. Sarah, yeah, you actually, should get some. You know, Puma they're, sp- too. they're
1: sponsoring a lot of our sports teams at the high school. They're really cool. They're everywhere. We're all about Puma now here in Summerville. Yeah,
0: after that sales pitch. The yeah, successful so, sales pitch.
1: Unless York comes in and there and they went off from a York's great too.
0: <laughs> and Reebok's great. And if you want to do some ad dollars for the show, you just let me know, man. I'll keep plugging you. So, okay, Green Line extension, when's that done? 2021?
1: 2021.
0: Nice. You can take the T to Somerville.
1: Yeah. I mean, when the Green Line. Is fully operational in twenty twenty one, that'll take twenty five thousand motor vehicles off our streets every day. It's big. Okay. And the community path along the Green Line extends from where it ends now at Lowell Street all the way into Boston. So you're combined bike pet paths. So again, enhancing that biking and walking infrastructure.
0: Hey, you got the summer sales pitch down. Summer yeah, sales really, down. I you can't wait. Yeah, you
1: know, I tell everyone, listen, the congestion is bad overall in the region. It's the most congested region in the U.S. Some of it's particularly difficult with bridges closed. You're going to be pissed off at us for a little while longer, but it'll start getting better in the spring.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a long term yeah, thing. I get yeah. it. Okay. Additionally, why kids our age don't care about politics? Just the truth, honestly. Some do. You know, I'm sure Sarah does because it's her job. But why should anyone my age actually really care? Affordable housing, obviously, some other issues. Why should they care about the election and and what actually affects us? Like a twenty-three-year-old, six-foot-three, handsome, young, entrepreneurial man like myself.
1: And we'll emphasize handsome. Thank you. Um, Except the hairlines,
0: talking back a little bit.
1: Well, you should care because I make decisions, and we, myself, members of the city council, make policies and decisions every day that impact your life. I know. What are they? Around housing, around transportation, around what we're going to invest in. You mentioned the arts, you know, uh, or the schools um, and the overall quality of life uh, of the city. That impacts you daily. On top of that, we're trying to, you know, I find myself, I'm fighting the Trump agenda in Somerville on a daily basis. Here we go. This guy hates Trump. Making, you know, making sure Somerville remains a sanctuary and welcoming city. Uh, standing up for the people who live with us, work with us, their kids go to school with us. Uh, so, yeah, I understand people are focused um, because of the nature of the national politics, but we're seeing the impacts of that localized right here in places like Somerville, um, and that's why you should care about it and should be engaged.
0: I think it's tough, and it's all it's been tough for me, too, to figure out how Trump's presidency has directly affected my day-to-day. I don't know if I can really analyze it, and so that's why I'm saying, like, let's say I I, I don't live in Somerville, but if I did, what decision would you make on a day to day basis that actually would affect my progression of my day? You know what
1: I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I would say one, you know, his policy around immigration and against sanctuary cities, and if you care and believe that uh, America should believe in its ideals of being a diverse and tolerant society. Well, you should care about that and who your elected officials are. Folks like myself and others around the Commonwealth who fight for the communities to remain sanctuary communities are welcoming and fighting to pass the Safe Communities Act at the state level. If you care about climate change, well then your local officials matter because we're seeing the impacts of climate change localized here. And places I'm glad Boston today announced they're going to be carbon neutral by 2050 following some of those leave from 2014. You know, what are we doing to invest in climate action? Because that impact is being felt day to day uh, here at a local level. And though we have a president who doesn't seem to think climate change. A way to simplify it is
0: saying like, yo, do you want clean air when you're like 35?
1: Yeah. Do you want clean air? You want to be able to live in your community. Do you want housing? Because the federal government has run away from housing and it's at the local level. We're fighting that battle. And let me put it this way. 54% of the world's population lives in city regions like the metro Boston region. And by 2050, that'll rise to 75%. And it's here at the local level where you find the most practical, progressive leadership in most cases, advancing the cost, taking on the challenges on housing, public health, climate change, transportation. And the question you know, we have is what kind of community region are we going to be? Uh, and so whether you live in Somerville or some of the surrounding community, you need to be tuned into your local politics because here – we're either advancing. You got to make it sexier, right. though, yeah. Mayor. You got to make yeah, it yeah.
0: sexier. You got to be like, yeah, it'd be cool to go out there and vote today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: it would be cool, especially if you're going to vote for me. Hey, <laughs> I if I lived him. in
0: Somerville, I'd vote for yeah. you, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Are how is your campaign strategy any different now? Is it? I mean, you probably just know most people in the. What is there eighty thousand well, people in Somerville? There's more
1: than eighty thousand people now, but you know, hey, you go You've out. You've developed
0: a brand for yourself.
1: You got to remind people. And I have never taken this for granted. i no one's gonna outwork me, especially at the doors. And I love Especially going. with
0: your brain, man. After uh, me uh, and you, you got yeah. a crazy motor I, uh, dog.
1: I, I love going to the doors. I go by myself.
0: I love it too. It's fun.
1: Uh, I, I go by myself and people usually reaction is uh, what are you doing here? You know, you're here at my door. I'm like See, I'm getting your vote. I you I, I want I need your vote, yeah. And we and it's it's great and the people are appreciative, it's disarming, but it's the best way. And people, you know, you should I think it's the least Myself as an elected official, we'd all should be doing is going out and asking for your vote. Um, I might have been maybe I may have been mayor for sixteen years. I don't take that for granted. I intend to earn the vote. I intend to win. And continue. I'm pumped up about the cha- I'm psyched about the success, but I'm more pumped up about the challenges ahead and to lead this community through them.
0: Do you ever want to like glow up and and have a higher position than mayor in, on a state level in politics? You've obviously thought uh, about it.
1: Yeah, I have. Maybe. Um, we'll see. Right I mean, now, I'm going to do this job. Uh, and at some point, I'll be done, whenever that is. Hopefully, because <laughs> it's my decision. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll tell you what. No matter what, I would say this to everyone.
0: What you would wanna, you want to run for next, U.S. Senator? I, I, no, I have, I have no come, idea. i got to be honest with you. I, I, come I, on, I see you smile he, he, No,
1: No, bit. no, no. By the way, no, there'll be... Uh, at the local level, it's where it's at. I got to be honest. It, no matter what, if I was to do something else down the road, I don't think I could find a more fulfilling job or responsibility than being mayor of Somerville. It's an awesome. It's hard. It's complex, but the people keep you on your toes. It's kind of like. Um, uh, you know Red Sox fans and their baseball team or you know you know they'll let you know when you're doing great and they'll let you know when they don't approve and they keep you going they we'll challenge probably, you to do
0: more well they'll probably let you know they're pissed more than they're when yeah, they're happy yeah it's
1: okay it's the job
0: so this is something I asked my dad too I said do all local politicians feel incentivized to vote for the hometown candidate like is that a thing because mark mark said he's like yeah he's like it's no secret i mean elizabeth warren get along like is that the same thing for you it's like she since she's from the state you kind of like have to support and vote for
1: her um i'm sure there's some of that uh, i'm i'm backing elizabeth because i believe in senator warren um she has a friend Mr. College but she, i think she's the best candidate in this race and there's a lot of great candidates Uh, yeah, for sometimes with local elected officials, there's a lot of that. And there's one thing of getting back in, but who's going to go out and work? I intend to go out and work and and campaign and anywhere in the country that they send me to. I really believe in her candidacy.
0: And then maybe if she gets elected, what if she's like, hey, Joe, I want you to be my secretary of labor. Only if I can bring this show with me. You'll know, I mean, be the head of media. I mean, think I'll about it. that. What public
1: officials a traveling podcast—that'd be pretty cool. No one's done that. We'd
0: well, have to get Sarah a bigger budget to yeah. do stuff like that.
1: I know she has an important role here. She's done a lot in their show today.
0: Hey, <laughs> do you have any questions? I know it's your. This is your boss, but if you have any yeah, questions, yeah. man, yeah. feel, feel free to rip yeah.
1: them. Uh, you can ask him about the uh, the work he's done on lowering the voting age locally. How old do you gotta be? Well, right now, Tim, we put forth the home rule, legislation, local legislation to the state to allow that uh, age for local elections to be dropped to 16. Dude,
0: what rational decision could a 16-year-old make? (laughs) Why would we ever be okay with that? You
1: only see that because you find yourself at 25 still making irrational ones. But that 16, we see that. Just look at the work on climate change, against climate change, and for improving the gun laws dude you know, i was smoking safety.
0: weed in the woods at 16 well now you can smoke it still
1: at 16 legally you don't have to be in the woods everyone no, not at 16 you can smoke it you don't have to be in the woods today but the is that, line everyone's boofing up in union square yeah, look at the end of the day that if what we need you just ask yourself young people don't want to you said yourself they want to participate in elections and what we want to do is have more people in the political process because especially young people we need their ideals and you know All the studies show that the more, the earlier people get engaged into the civic process, the longer they'll stay in or more consistently. And we find too many people not participating. And we can't have that. Not just voting. People voting, be involved in their community, running for political office. How how old are your kids? My oldest is 16. Oh, yeah. So he's got a
0: bunch of friends. Yeah, you (laughs) want want him to gain a vote for you. Believe
1: me, it wasn't him. (laughs) Uh, 16, 14, 13, 11 my boys.
0: Whoa. Yeah. All So it's all men in the Cardatoni household. Yeah, yeah. Who, who wins in a fight? My wife. Yeah? Yeah. So were you cool with getting the weed bill passed through?
1: Yeah, I was a big proponent. You smoke? No. Me neither. A cigar on occasion. That's it, but no weed.
0: Yeah, weed makes me a little, whoa. Mark said he dabbled a little bit back in the day. didn't surprise me. He's a Cambridge hippie.
1: I think Cambridge, uh, it was legalized in Cambridge before anywhere else. Uh, yeah,
0: honestly, I'm sure. Um, okay, cool. So I pretty much answered everything. You, you're you backing Warren because you think she's the most progressive candidate?
1: I, I think, yeah. Well, I, I think there are a lot of I think uh, she proposed a yeah, lot I, of like actual well, plans. I, I love how she's run... First of all, she's been an incredible U.S. senator. Um, and I believe in her candidacy. But I, I love the way she's running her campaign. She has put forth a lot of, really, uh, you can call them bold, practical, progressive plans. And she is doing things we should have been doing in the Democratic Party for a long time. Engaging people. Going into the political lines then in places where people haven't gone. And listening uh, to voters and constituents. And, uh, I mean, you see it in the momentum, right? I mean, she she's on an upsurge.
0: It will be interesting, though, because I still feel like Massachusetts will probably be a tight race, don't you?
1: Um. I Between feel like her Biden and Sanders
0: think, or Biden? I think Biden.
1: We'll see. I Look, there are a lot of great candidates on the Democratic side, and there are a few lifetimes left before the primary process is done. And I, no matter what, I'll be behind the Democratic nominee. I will say, yeah. I, for Elizabeth... You really I hate want Trump's hu- guts, huh? Uh, I, uh, I, I've I, seen I, your I Twitter, I, man. Let me tell you. I mean, let's say he's stays off the tracks, and this is not a... I mean, he shouldn't be running the water in the, in the faucet in my bathroom, never mind the country. You know, uh, and we had a uh, – for Elizabeth, I wonder what, how we'd be viewing Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren, if she was a man. I mean, but I got to say she is sturdy, she is strong, and she'd kick his ass. And Carter Tony. Right. wants right. that big promotion. I know yeah, what's no, going on here, that. dog. But no matter what, I'll tell you, I'm going to back, whether it's Biden, if, I mean, I'll, as one person, and what I can do, whoever that nominee is, I'm going to fight for her he or she may be,
0: what do you think about Andrew Yang? And Pretty
1: interesting. Of um, reading more about him, uh, yeah.
0: Do you believe in automation? Like, do you believe uh, it in its inherent dangers and effects?
1: I, I don't know if I fully believe in it, but only because I'll be. To be honest, I'm, I need to Research understand more. it better. But I like some practical things he did about letting people control. You know, make their own decisions. Empower them to make their own decisions. I think he puts forth some pretty probative things, some abnormal things if you want to call them. And I think it's a great part of the dialogue. Like you have an interesting array of candidates. Well, really he thinks ones. he
0: thinks that in all his work in the Midwest, that a lot of blue collar jobs are going to be automated pretty soon, like truck drivers. And so, I wonder if automation will come to like a city like Somerville kind of soon.
1: I think automation is going to come. Like,
0: will the buses be self driving?
1: Eventually, I think they all will be. And, uh. Good, you're good to go. Oh, uh, so, um, you know, we're talking about automation and what form, you know, automated vehicles. I think we're going to see that. It's definitely going to happen in cities. We need to be, you know, self driving cars, be prepared for that, self driving buses. So, saying a buddy of mine years ago told me when he was in grad school in the 80s and business, you know, getting his, uh, well, his graduate business degree his professor to said to him you know this internet thing i think it's going to be pretty big it, uh, it was and people thought it was far-fetched at that time as well i mean uh so i think those points that yang brings up are real
0: is this still rolling uh yeah it's good now i'm so paranoid of that i don't know why that happened don't worry i'm keeping an eye on it okay thank you she's
1: got your back <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's another thing. I want to talk to you guys afterwards, but I'm looking for another live producer. So if you know anybody who's like pretty talented in Somerville, a kid on a media tip, savvy, hook me up, man.
1: All right, we can do that.
0: I'm sure you got a region of a region of, <laughs> yeah. a of people. Have a whole
1: cohort of media people. Exactly. Just waiting at the, in the bullpen.
0: <laughs> um. Okay. Also, what are your thoughts on Tulsi Gabbard's policy? Are you familiar with Tulsi?
1: No, yeah, I'm familiar with Tulsi Gabbard. But her latest policy, remind me.
0: I'm just saying in, oh, her in general. Campaign. Yeah, our campaign, or candidacy.
1: I haven't, uh, you know, for me, I mean, it hasn't risen to my radar screen. Uh, you know, nothing's too nothing's special about out. it. I mean, again, a lot of good candidates. Uh, you know, my focus has been on Elizabeth and mm-hmm. uh, certainly paying attention to some of the other ones because I think they're bringing us some pretty good ideas.
0: i I tell you guys something really funny? Yeah. Of course. And this is on the media, but since we're all just, I mean, I would tell you this afterwards too, but I was walking around Fresh Pond in Cambridge and... And I knew it was Elizabeth Warren that was in front of me. I knew it. Did you run into her and Bailey? And the dog. The dog, yeah. Yeah, Bailey's the dog. And so I was like, oh, I got to introduce myself, right? So I walked ahead of her and then I got in push up position, like probably 300 yards ahead of her because I knew the dog would come up to me and accost me. So then the dog came and attacked me. And then she was like, oh, Bailey, get off, get off. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I just act like I had no clue who she was,
1: <laughs>
0: but I walked with her husband for probably like a hundred fifty yards, and I was like, "You guys from Cambridge?" Blah blah blah. He's from Oklahoma originally, or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had Patty's hats on. You ever been to Patty's in Cambridge? You familiar? Yep. Are you allowed to leave Somerville and do other stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I, I occasionally go, go out. But what's the uh,
0: best food here in Somerville? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard to say.
1: No, I don't have. I mean. I have a favorite. If you want barbecue, I mean, there's really few places in that. There's a couple, but well, Red Bones, Bones is still my uh, if, if, Oh, if Red you Bones. Want, you want seafood, I go to out of the blue. You want Mexican, right over here, La Cantina right in Davis Square. You know, Bob Don's place is my favorite, but I mean, you can't get a bad, you're hard to find a bad spot in some of them. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a, that was a politician answer. Well, I mean, to be but honest. Like I mean, it's rocking here.
1: I don't go, I really don't go. If I go outside the city, it's, maybe I know the establishment. But, uh,
0: okay. Hey, anything you're looking forward to coming up?
1: Looking forward to this election to be over. <laughs> I'm pumped up. I'm working hard. When, when it's is the time election? Suck. November 5th. November 5th. November 5th. Yeah. You know, it just takes up time and uh, just to get going on, uh, you know, for the next term. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. And actually, about honk next weekend. Honk Festival. Here I'm not
0: totally there. sold on the Honk You got
1: to go to Honk. You've never been to Honk?
0: I'm not sold on... It didn't really make sense to me when you were saying it initially.
1: Oh, yeah, listen, then it's, it's very Somerville. That's all you need to know. So you well, is it go. like the old
0: Somerville or the new Somerville? No, it's the, the new Somerville. Somerville. Oh, yeah. You got to go. The, yeah, it's, the, it's very weird. It's very the weird. hippie Again, Somerville. Yeah,
1: you got you to go. Honk is awesome. Now, kicking off on Saturday. On Saturday.
0: Honk. Yep. Porch Fest. All these cool stuff going yeah. on in Somerville.
1: Love it. It's never boring here.
0: I know. Well, it's because <laughs> it's run by a guy like you, man. Okay. T- one thing. So let's say there's a this is a 23-year-old Joe Curtitoni, right? You're just starting out. Or let's say someone our age. They want to get into politics. They want to run for office, and they have no political experience. What type of things would you tell them to do off the bat?
1: Uh, first of all, I... Don't do this. Don't sit down and think about all the operational things you need to get together. You know, oh, I gotta, oh, do I need to bring a staff? Or many people? I would say this. Do you have a story to tell while you're running? All right, then go do it. Go do it. Uh, obviously, you're going to do it when you're campaigning and at the doors and meeting people. Start calling up your friends, your family, people you know, and say, hey, I'm running for office. I need your help. I'm running because I really care about this issue. I care about the city. care And, and, and You know, it's a value narrative. That's the most important thing you need to do. All the other pieces will come in place. The other thing is, give me a call. I'd love to share my experience with you. And uh, happy to do it anytime. I think, you know, the more people, we need some younger people running for office here.
0: What type of disciplines would you develop at a young age? To run for office? Or to be a successful politician?
1: You have to be a good listener.
0: You also got to be a good talker.
1: Yeah, you can get that. Yeah, but,
0: think about it. How fast did this hour pass for you? I know, you know, but
1: you can, you that you can evolve and develop. You really have to be, you have to be sincere, and you have to be a good listener, and you can communicate that sincerity even if maybe art, articulate someone might be more articulate. You can still communicate it with your sincerity.
0: You have to be, just be a good talker and listener, yeah. and understand people's emotional intelligence.
1: Yeah, but you know, people can get through the BS if you're a good talker. You have to have a, you have to connect on the value narrative. They have to feel that you're sincere. You're listening to their concerns, and, and, and you're giving them that earnest attention.
0: Okay. Well, hey, that's it for me. Listen, this is how we start and end the show. When Did you enjoy yourself? had a blast. Hey, Not by fast. Give me, give me a big political. Ah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> so listen, this is how we start and end the show. You say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Does that make sense? If you get it wrong, I'm screwed. You, you're gonna blow everything we at this.: here. Yeah, this one. This is still on, right? Yeah, it's still on. Sarah. Connor, you're like half in the shot. That's. I don't have to be in this. It's okay. okay. I'm on the show. Like get the better half, four which is times me. a week. Go ahead. Whenever you're ready.
1: Hi, I'm Joe Curtatone, and this is my golden hour. Hi, I'm Joe Curtatone. And this was my golden hour. Blew it. It's a that was. Oh, that was. Go again. God. Joe, again, man. One. I'll do it from the beginning. This is and that was. Hi, I'm Joe Curtitoni, And this is my golden hour. Bang. Hi, I'm Joe Curtitoni And that was my golden hour. Well executed for a oh, great yeah. guy. All right. Do I'm something. Appreciate <laughs> it.
0: Thank you. That was great. Cool.